Thank you, Larry. Shalom. It's always a privilege to be at Valley Bible Church, and though I was not able to be in the Holy Ghost Hall, Brother Phil has told me story after story about the early days, and I want to thank you all for being part of and standing with the ministry of Jews for Jesus all these many years. I think that probably Susan Perlman was with Moish there at the Holy Ghost Hall. She's here with me today. You'll be able to see Susan after the service out at the Jews for Jesus literature table. But uh, Susan was one of the founders, is one of the founders. She's the keeper of the flame and <laughs> some of the secrets. And uh, we're really grateful for uh, her being here as well and, and for your friendship and support. I'm your missionary with Jews for Jesus. And uh, I, you know... For the many, many times I've been here over the 40 years, I think this is the first time that I've been here when Brother Phil and Carolyn were not. And I've been trying to think about how I should feel about that, you know? Uh, and I've decided that it must mean that after all this time, Phil finally trusts me not to mess things up. So <laughs> it's really great. And, I, I, you know, as much as... Um, when you think about Jews for Jesus and your support for this ministry, you have to know that whenever you pray for us, somewhere around the world, there's going to be a Jews for Jesus missionary sharing the gospel with Jewish people. And we have a very busy summer that we've been going through, and I'm so excited to tell you just a little bit of some of the highlights of what God's been doing. We just finished our second evangelistic campaign in Berlin. The first one was last year and led to our launching a branch of Jews for Jesus there. And I want to, you know, some of you who may wonder why is Jews for Jesus in Berlin, Germany after the Second World War and the Holocaust? Well, the fact of the matter is that there are still German-speaking Jews there. But then in the 1990s, there was a huge influx of Russian-speaking Jews. And then over the last five years, there have been over 20,000 Israeli young people, businessmen who have moved to Berlin for business. And so we have this huge challenge to reach these three different language groups of Jews in Berlin. Now that we've started a branch there, we're also very cognizant of the challenges because Berlin is experiencing in a perhaps an even greater way some of the you know, polarization and conflict that we've seen in our country in recent weeks. Berlin is the main destination point for all the Syrian refugees. So there's an influx of Muslims that have created a backlash among German nationalists and the skinhead movement. And then you've got Jews for Jesus preaching the gospel out on the streets. Well, I like that. We have a message of hope. And there's hope in the gospel to bring people together and this happened just this past month. We were able to hand out over 60,000 pieces of gospel literature and New Testaments. We got over 500 contacts of people who wanted to continue and start studying the Bible with us. And 36 people prayed with us right on the streets of Berlin to open their hearts to the Lord Jesus for the first time. <laughs> Hallelujah. So there's a lot of good things happening. And I want to tell you something that is yet to happen to get you to pray. And when you came in today, you should have received a card that has my picture on it. If you take that out right now, because I want to channel your prayers for the future to this, what is going to be the greatest challenge in the history of Jews for Jesus. Some of you who have been following us know that the operation Behold Your God that we've been doing for 17 years now 
has taken us to all the major cities of the world with a Jewish population of 25,000 or more. It's one of the reasons why we've been able to open a branch in Berlin and Budapest because we've had this campaign. And for the last number of years, it's been in Israel throughout all the regions, and we saved the, the best for last. Next year, we're going to conclude this 18-year outreach of Behold Your God with Behold Your God Jerusalem. Now, ever since Peter, James, and John were preaching the gospel in Jerusalem, there has not been a street outreach in that city. And we believe that God has raised up this ministry to do this in these last days. And there's a lot of opposition we know we're going to face, which is why we're not actually announcing the dates. Just you know that it's going to be next year. But two-thirds of the city of Jerusalem, the ultra-Orthodox, in Israel they call them Haredi, the ones with the black hats and the coats. Two-thirds of the people are that. We also have a team. So we have a team that's going to re be reaching Haredi ladies. Haredi men is another team. Hebrew University, largest university in, in Israel. We have a team for DAF. DAF is an acronym that stands for Drugs, Alcohol, Prostitution, and Homelessness. You don't think of those things when you think of the city of Jerusalem. But all the same social ills that we have in our major cities here is there in Jerusalem. So we want you, first of all, to pray. Because we're going to see this opposition, and we believe that the Lord's going to be glorified even through it. Uh, you know, there's a little perforation next to my face. Uh, anybody need a card, by the way? If you didn't get one, raise your hand and we'll... Yeah, ushers, could you come and get those cards out? Um, you're familiar with the last time I was here, we did this, but... I want you to do it again, to fold it a few times, and then we'll rip it together on the count of three. Are you ready? In Hebrew, here comes the count. Echad, shtaim, shalosh. All right. Some of you will need to catch up when you get your card. But take me home with you, all right? Because we need you to be reminded to pray, and especially to pray for Behold Your God, Jerusalem. And uh, now for some of you, uh, you know, you said, I always want to go to Israel. But you think of Israel as like a Christian Disneyland where you can go and walk where Jesus walked. Nothing wrong with that. But the United States of America sends over 500,000 short-term missionaries every year from the church here in America. None to Israel. We've got to fix that. We've got to change our thinking. Israel is not just the place where Jesus walked. It's where people need the gospel and we're doing it, and one of the outcomes of this Jerusalem Behold Your God campaign will be the very first Jews for Jesus branch in that city since, like I said, Peter, James, and John. So we really need your prayers, and uh, we expect opposition, but uh, when you fill out this card and drop it at the back table, there's a little basket back there where Jews for Jesus material, Susan Perlman will be there. We'll send you the Jerusalem prayer updates. They'll be coming about once a month email, and then when we get closer to the event, you'll start getting them in every week. But our success, God's glory, is going to be founded on the prayers of God's people. You can be a part. Whether you come with us or whether you stay back and pray, we need your prayers. The largest, the single greatest challenge, I think, in our ministry's history, God is going to be glorified. So please fill out this card. And when you go back there to say hi to Susan, there's a few items that are brand new that you might be interested in. First of all, this is really great because it's very timely. This is our annual Messianic art calendar. 
And, you know, since the new year for the Jewish people starts in September, you get a calendar that goes from September, that's next month, all the way through till December of 2018. It's beautiful artwork. It's called The Glory of Messiah. And each month you've got different beautiful illustrations that are connected to a prophecy about the Messiah from the Hebrew Bible. For example, this is an art treatment of Bethlehem. And of course, you know, Micah 5.1 or 5.2 and Matthew 2 are both the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament fulfillment. So look at this. Oh, also Susan, who's back there, created a long, an accompanying piece with the glory of Messiah. She's got a glory of Messiah adult coloring book. So if you're into that kind of a thing, talk to Susan. Another book that is really great, uh, Jews Don't Need Jesus and Other Misconceptions. You know, a lot of people think, well, since the Jews are God's chosen people, they don't need Jesus. Well, that's not true. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Let me ask you, who was it who was listening when he said those words on the planet? <laughs> it was Jewish people. If it didn't apply to them, it doesn't apply to anybody else. If Jesus is not the Jewish Messiah, he cannot be the Savior of the world. And this is a wonderful book that explores a lot of the misconceptions that even Christians have concerning Jewish people. You know, I love my country, and I pray for my country. And I love God's country, Israel. In fact, I have a little pin on my jacket that has an American flag and an Israeli flag. And so I was so glad when Larry asked, how many of you pray for Israel? And you do. Pray for Jerusalem. Pray for God's work there. It's the largest work of Jews for Jesus now in the land of Israel. You know, there's an old story about when Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu got together, first of all, in the Oval Office. Uh, Netanyahu said, I see you have two phones, one white and one red. Uh, what are they for? And Trump says, well, white's for the local calls and red's my hotline to heaven. Okay, well, then uh, Trump went and visited Netanyahu in his office and he only noticed one white phone. He says, what's that for? He says, that's for local calls. He says, well, where's your hotline to heaven? He says, oh, it's a local call from here. <laughs> <laughs> but Jerusalem needs to know Jesus. Will you pray with us and pray for behold your God Israel? One of the reasons why we're so committed, why we're in Berlin, why we're in Budapest, why we will be in Jerusalem is because God has given us a passion for the lost. And it's part of the heart of God that not just people like Jews for Jesus and others who are invested full time, but all of his children have this passion because it reflects the heart of God. So I want to invite you to open up in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, which uh, if you're using your pew Bible, it's page 740. Because, you know, this is something that can wane, wax and wane, like the moon. And we have to revive our own passion. Jews for Jesus exists to passionately, relentlessly pursue God's plan for the salvation of Israel. That's what we're doing. And Jesus in this chapter told three stories that unpack the heart of God for his lost creation. And if we can see from that, these three stories, how to rekindle that passion ourselves, it will change our lives and impact the lives of countless people around us. Now, the beginning of uh, this chapter shows us a little bit about the audience that Jesus was addressing these 
uh, stories to. And, you know, we've been seeing a lot of polarization. People talk about how every, our, our country, our society is polarized. Well, Israel was pretty polarized when Jesus was walking the planet. And we see that in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, and that word sinner just basically means people who haven't submitted themselves to living a religious lifestyle. So secular would be okay too in the minds of what the people, uh, the rabbis, the other people there, they were gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees, that's the rabbis, and the teachers of the law muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So you've got two groups. The polarization is intense, and Jesus decides to tell these three stories to them, and they're for, for both groups. And we'll see how that impacts. And the first one we're going to read about is the lost sheep. There's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost brothers. Now, you usually know that one as the prodigal son, but it's not just one, it's two sons, two brothers, and both of them are lost. We'll see how Jesus encounters them. So the first one we'll read verses, one th verses uh, two through three through seven. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I love how Jesus chose imagery that was so familiar that people could really connect with the story. Now, we don't live in an agrarian society, so sheep and shepherds are not a daily part of our experience, and yet it was certainly that case for the people who were listening. And Sheep were not known as the smartest of animals, right? And shepherds were not considered the upper crust of society. They were kind of like, if you were slow, uh, you know, a little bit less blessed with intelligence, shepherd was your good career path. It was respectable, but not, you know, that high up on the social ladder. And so Jesus chooses this very familiar imagery to talk about this idea of who's really lost and who's not. And, and he mentions this size of the flock in the story is about 100, which is a good-sized flock, but was more likely a shared group of sheep, several families, who would hire a shepherd to go and take care of them. And, you know, the shepherd's love is the first thing to me that jumps out. His love for this one sheep, you know, that he's willing to leave the 99 and go and search. And somebody might think, well, you still got your 99. Why bother yourself? But no, the shepherd, he doesn't leave the sheep unintended. He gets, I'm sure, someone to make sure that those 99 are going to be okay. But then he goes, and no trouble, no pain, no search is too great if it enables him to bring back that one lost sheep. And you know what? Think about this. That sheep just wandered off. He wasn't looking to find the shepherd. There's no effort that's taken on the part of the sheep to find his place back with the flock. It's all on the shepherd. 
It's all on the shepherd to go and to find. He's the one exerting the influence. And this is really important to understand because, you see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law believed that if one were to come to God, they had to first repent. They had to get their life right, and then God would perhaps welcome them into their presence. And that was the representation of the leaders, the religious people. And, of course, Jesus is not going that way. They're upset with him because he's hanging out with these people, these tax collectors and sinners, before they repent, before they show any interest in spiritual things because Jesus knows when you come in contact with those who really love you and who really reflect the character of God, it's going to be attractive. And Jesus wants to be with these people because they're sick, because they recognize their need, because they know that they're far away from God. And isn't it wonderful that God does not require us to have preconditions to welcome his grace? In fact, being able to receive God's grace is the precondition to repent. Our sin is so deceptive, it's so blinding to the human mind and heart that we don't even recognize our need for repentance until first God's grace reaches out and touches us. If you're here today and you've never repented, it's because the grace of God has yet to touch your heart. You know what I mean? And those of us who have received God's grace, repentance should be a daily part of our spiritual discipline. We all need to repent. And it's the goodness of God that leads us to that repentance. And, you know, even in the church, we sometimes are like that older son. We're kind of like that Pharisee and that Sadducee. We get judgmental, and we look at the world around us, and we see the degradation, and we see the sinful attitudes, and we sit back, and we fold our arms, and we say, well, they're not church people. And that's true. But they are just as lost as we are, and God does not expect them to repent before they can walk through the doors of valley. Is that right? We want to see them come because when we understand God's grace, and that's the pathway to, to developing a passion for, your, for the lost, is to remind ourselves how wonderful it is, how gracious God is to welcome someone like me, someone like you. And so he's welcoming others. And when we remember, we remind ourselves of the wonderful grace of God, it cultivates that passion for the lost in our hearts. Repentance is the result of God's grace. We can't cheapen that grace. Repentance has to be a part of the experience of God's grace. But we have this wonderful picture of God the shepherd going and searching. None of us have earned the loving, searching care of Father God. But passion for the lost does begin with a renewed understanding of that graciousness of God. And that does lead to repentance. And when the shepherd, with the beautiful picture of him carrying that lost sheep on his shoulders, comes back, what does he do? He invites all of his friends to celebrate. Let's have a party. You know, there's not enough partying going on in the church today because we don't have a passion for the lost. When someone gets saved, we say, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Heaven says, hallelujah. Let's rejoice. Let's throw a party. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than 500 people who come to the second service at Valley Bible Church. All right? Now, that's not to say that God doesn't rejoice in this, but we've got to get excited about the things that excite God. And when sinners come back, when people who are lost are found, that's a, a cause for joy, rejoicing. Don't you want to have more parties here at Valley? Let that be true. And that's what is true in heaven with the angels, let's join them. 
Let's be, have our hearts tuned to God so that we're sensitive about what God celebrates and we can celebrate too. Amen? Second uh, story that Jesus tells, I think it reflects his love for women and his willingness to elevate them to a status of equality. Because this, this story has the woman as the main character. Isn't that great? That wasn't very common back then. And so you got this story of the lost coin. Let's read verses 8 through 10. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, this silver coin, word in Greek is drachma, was the equivalent to about one day's wages in ancient Israel. About 100 bucks, 120 bucks. Pricey coin. But it was more than that, because you see, this was a coin that was connected to a piece of jewelry, either a necklace with ten coins on it, or a headpiece with ten coins on it. She only lost one of them, but see, she would have received that necklace or headpiece as part of the dowry for her wedding. It's kind of like a wedding ring for a, a wife. It's got sentimental value that exceeds the monetary value. And so, have you ever lost your wedding ring? <laughs> have you ever lost your child? My parents left me at a concert once when I was a kid, and I saw their faces when they came back and found me. <laughs> parents, have you lost a kid? Not non Remember the feeling? So the emphasis here is on the urgency of the search. What does she do? She lights a lamp. She goes sweeping. She's under the couch. She's looking everywhere. She's, she's really upset. She, she wants to find this thing that, that celebrates her status as a woman, as a mother, as a wife in the community. It's not just the monetary thing. It's everything. She's lost it. And then she finds it. Remember when, oh my goodness, when you found that child or when you found that wedding ring, how did you feel? Well, maybe you didn't want to call your husband right away because, you know, you know, whatever reason, when we get it, we get that sense of joy and relief. And that's one of the themes of all of these stories is joy and rejoicing, joy and rejoicing. We celebrate when that which was lost is now found. And so this woman gets a party together as well. And what a great picture again of the urgency of seeking the lost. You know, that's my challenge as a missionary for over 40 years with Jews for Jesus. My passion for people sometimes gets diminished and I need God to stir me back up again and, and renew my passion. And one of the people that I look to who I've never been able to rise to the level of is the Apostle Paul. Remember, he was an apostle to not the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles, right? Aren't you glad he was? And yet in Romans chapter 9, Paul says this about his love for his people, his passion for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said, I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. I... I 
I, I, I aspire to that, but I've not reached that level. Are you willing to be cut off yourself for the sake of someone else? Wow, what an incredible, well, that's what Jesus did. So he's reflecting the heart of Jesus who was willing to die, to bear our sins, to descend to the depths for the sake of those whom he was gathering together, you and me here today. Praise his name. We were just celebrating that with communion. And so I look at Paul and I say, wow, that's beyond my capacity to wish for myself that I would be cut off for the sake of my brethren. But I know that that's God's heart. So I want to be stirred up. What about you? That's the anguish of God's heart over his lost. And then the joy. What an irony of life we live. Anguish in seeking and joy in finding come together. That's the gospel, and that's the life of the person who bears the heart of God for his lost creation. Anguish and joy come together. And as we renew our passion for the lost today, we need to pray that God give us the ability to hold those two things in tension, anguish for the lost, joy in the finding. And that's what God wants to do for each and every one of us who love him today. The third and final story is often called the prodigal son, but it's really not just one son, is it? Two sons, both of them are lost. Two sons representing the two crowds that are polarized and listening to Jesus' words. Two types of people. Can we see ourselves, which son, or maybe a little bit of both here today? Verses 11 through 31, a little bit longer of a story. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in, an, in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, feed, to his fields to feed pigs. You think this was a Jewish country? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. So he's out there feeding the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Pig food is better than nothing, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Heaven was a euphemism for God himself, okay? So he's got a speech that he's preparing here. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but 
The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. <laughs> wow. You know, think about what was motivating this younger son, okay? He, uh, being the younger son, stood to inherit one-third of his father's estate. The elder, two-thirds. That's just the way it was done. But while it wasn't unheard of, it was very uncommon for those sons to get their inheritance until their father had died. So in essence, for this younger son to come and say, hey, you know, give me what's mine, it was almost like saying with tremendous disrespect, wish you were dead, but since you're not, give me what's mine. What a tragic departure. Prodigal. And off he went. And just, you know, you see the picture of Bunyan, the slew of Despond. You can't sink any lower than envying pigs. Right? This is what's going on in this guy's life. He had given himself to fast women and fast camels, and he had lost it all. You know? And we see that all around us. Maybe some of us say, yeah. That's where I'm right now, actually. I'm in trouble. Hmm. That's the first step to realize you're in trouble. You know, and, and so why did you repent? Why did you get saved? Was it because you just loved God with all your heart and wanted to serve him with all your life? Isn't God so gracious to take us with all of our mixed motives? This guy just wanted a better three squares than he could get with the pigs. If I just go back to my father and let him hire me as a servant, God welcomes us despite our less than honorable motivations. A lot of kids who come to the Lord in Sunday school do so. Why? Because they don't want to go to hell, right? God doesn't mind that. He wants us to come whosoever will. On whatever basis, he welcomes us. Whatever your motive here today is, don't stay away with the pigs, come on. It's not worth our time and energy to do that. God wants us lost and found. Repentance, yep, God will make sure that your repentance is true even if it isn't at the beginning because he welcomes us and he begins to work with us wherever we are. And so here we see this man coming and you can just watch him. You know, he's making his way. He knows where home is and he's practicing his speech. Okay, just make me like your servant. Make me like your servant. And he gets there, and the father sees him from afar off and goes running and throws his arm. He starts his speech. He doesn't even get to that part. He doesn't even finish the speech because God is so happy to welcome him back. Come on, get that robe. Get that ring. Get that calf. What a wonderful, loving, merciful God. He gives us not just mercy, but grace. Mercy is getting, not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you do not deserve. And we see that beautifully pictured in this and the hymn that John Newton wrote so long ago. My son was lost, but now is found. Amazing grace. Hallelujah. But not all are happy in Mudville. <laughs> yeah, look at the older son. What happens with him? Where is his heart at? And meanwhile, verse 
25. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother got so excited he couldn't stop dancing, right? No. <laughs> no, just the opposite. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving away for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you ever said that to your, house, your, your spouse? Your daughter, your son, this, is a, this son of yours, not my brother, it's your son, does this. <laughs> I, I, I know I've done it. Oh, my goodness. So he says, this, uh, this son of yours comes back, and uh, he's a... Uh, He's, uh, he's squandered your property with prostitutes, and you kill the fatted calf. And then you see the father grieve, certainly, for this elder son. My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours <laughs> was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. Again, that amazing grace hymn that we know so well. Wow. The two sons, both of them lost. One didn't even realize it because he was so self-satisfied with his piety. Yeah. You compare me to your younger son, I'm so much better, right? Huh. Well... I don't know. I think we've got both sons in us. I think we do. Depends on which one is uh, most prominent at certain times. Not all of us rejoice when we look around at the world and see people making their way back. But we need to. The elder son made just as tragic a mistake as the younger. And the two polarized crowds we're hearing those words and knowing I'm one of those sons. What about us? You know, the, the story doesn't tell us what happens to that elder son. Obviously, there's tremendous animosity between the two boys. I'd like to think that if Jesus went on, he would tell a story of reconciliation and redemption because the gospel is evident in both people's lives. They hear the good news Next week, we're starting an outreach in Budapest. And Budapest is a place where there's very similarly to Berlin and even our country, a tremendous refugee crisis, influx of Muslims, um, a rise of nationalism, white supremacy, and the largest group of Holocaust survivors in all of Europe. And the political dynamics make it almost very challenging to talk about the gospel. And at every university over the next few weeks, we're having an event where politics is, you know, very 
much a prominent part of the conversation. And it's called Two Sons of the Middle East. One of them is a member of our staff in Budapest who is an Israeli named Danny, Danny Balog. And he got saved in Israel and met an Arab who became a believer as well, and they became best friends. And now that Arab is also living in Budapest, and they're going to be going around from university to university with events called Two Sons of the Middle East. <laughs> These sons can be alienated because they're apart from God, but they can be brought together because of the mercy and grace of God who forgives sons. Hallelujah. It's the only hope. It's the only hope. And our thoughts today are there and here. And I'm asking myself, and I hope you are too, which son am I more like? We all need to repent. Whether it be because we've been on that journey long, away, far away from God. Or maybe because we've been so comfortable sitting here knowing that we were part of the pious ones that we have lost the passion for, the, for those who need him. And we think of ourselves as those Pharisees did, worthy, deserving of God's favor. We don't. None of us do. But as we remember that, and as we remember the grace of God, he will stir up within us that passion. We want Valley Bible Church to be a place of rejoicing every week where there's a party celebrating those that were lost coming back. And we want to be the ones who welcome them. May God renew our passion for the lost. May God renew our urgency to seek and to save through Christ. May God fan the flame of urgency. And may he make us appreciators and lovers of what he is doing so much that we're rejoicing with the angels in heaven every single week. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray, and, and as we pray, I want you to think through your constituency, the people in your life, family, neighbors, colleagues, classmates. And I'm quite sure that some of them are going to be one or the other of these sons. And as you pray for yourself, let's pray before the throne of God and name the names of the ones that he's brought to mind. Father God, we thank you that you are the one who seeks and saves that which is lost. You're the shepherd in search of the one. You're the person who urgently sweeps and looks and lights the lamp, the lamp of your word, to illuminate that which is lost. You're the one who loves the wanderer and loves the self-righteous and welcomes them to receive your mercy and grace and to renew the passion and love. Lord, we want our hearts to be filled with joy and rejoicing because of your great grace. So I pray that as we think about these stories and we think about the passion that you have, that some of that would be reflected in our lives today, this week. We pray for those people, Lord, you've placed in our lives. May you save them. May you use us, Lord, to speak. May we even have the courage to invite them to come to church next week so that they, whether prodigal or self-righteous can come to the foot of the cross and receive your love and your mercy and your grace and your restoration. May we be a people marked by passion for the lost. 
And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. I want to invite you to stand. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Stand for a benediction. Uh, From uh, Numbers chapter 6, God gave the priests, the sons of Aaron, a blessing. He said, bless my people with this blessing, and they will be blessed. First in Hebrew, and then in English, we'll be dismissed. Be sure to drop your cards at the back table and say hi to Susan, would you? So great to be with you. Bow your heads, please. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Yoher Adonai panavolecha v'yikuneika Yisau Adonai panavolecha V'yoseim lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Bashem Yeshua Meshichenu Sar HaShalom. In the name of Jesus our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Bless you.